Hey, welcome to another episode of Addicted to MRR. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Trent Dearsman. How are you doing today, Trent? Hey, Travis. I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being on. We've known each other for years, and uh, we've we've been on each other's podcasts, whatever, in the past, but um, I'm really excited to have you on today to talk all about subscriptions and your new tool. Um, it's called Flowster.app, right? Yep, that's it. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about what Flowster does and and kind of how it works and what it, what it fills in the marketplace. Sure. So we I have an Amazon business that I started a number of years ago. And very early on, I documented all the processes for that business so that I could delegate myself out of any day-to-day roles. And so we ended up with an extensive library of SOPs, which lived in Google Docs. And then I spoke at a conference about all of these SOPs and how they'd helped us to be successful. And there was an overwhelming response from the audience saying, you know, would you sell us a copy of those SOPs? And I thought, well, sure. And, but I really wasn't sure how it was going to go. So we, we didn't have a software company at that point in time. The first launch was huge. We did over $400,000 worth of sales, which blew my mind to say the least. And I quickly realized that this was going to be a, a product that was going to continue to sell well. And so I, I needed a good place to put all of that content in such a way as to make it easy for the customers who are using the content to share it with their team and in their organization. So we started to create a software application and that application is Flowster. So you could think of Flowster something like project management software, but the difference is that Flowster is designed with the idea of making it easy for anyone in any industry to create standard operating procedures, which we call templates, and then to be able to assign those templates to employees as a workflow and give them due dates and be able to have chat back and forth and all of the functionality. Because once you have... Uh, a lot of workflows happening in your organization. If you don't have a structure and a way of keeping track of who's doing what and when it's due and all that kind of thing, it all just becomes a big mess of spaghetti. Totally agree. As someone who's building a team right now for our own um, software products, I can completely agree that if you don't have SOPs, um, it becomes difficult to scale and be consistent with your customer experience. Mm -hmm. So who would you say is like your most direct competitor um, to Flowster? Do I really have to name them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just give me an example. Like, is there any big names that people would, would recognize just so we get a feel of, of maybe some other apps that have been a little bit more established in the marketplace to get an idea of who you're up against? Well, if you think of things like Basecamp or Asana or any of the project management apps, they all have many of the same bits of functionality. They're project management apps. And so they allow you to have deadlines and assign users and attach files and maybe embed video and so forth. The difference is that those apps are generally speaking designed for you know, project management and projects by their very nature, at least the way that I look at them, they're not necessarily something that would be replicated over and over and over in exactly the same way. So if you're a marketing agency and you bring on a new client and you have a project, you're going to do that project. But the next time you're going to do that project, it might be, uh, it could be substantially different. It could be a little bit different or what have you. Whereas standard operating procedures, as the name suggests, are standard 
and they're going to be used in exactly the same way every single time. So an example is whenever I recruit a podcast guest onto my show, there's a procedure for that. Whenever I publish a new video to my YouTube channel, there's a procedure for that. When in our in our Amazon business, when we are looking for more products, there's a variety of pr- procedures that are a part of that and they happen over and over and over again. Um, and, the, and the list just goes on and on and on. Sure, it makes total sense. And and you think about the other standard project management apps. I mean, that they have a lot of other stuff built in, which can make them actually cumbersome to use depending on the specific need you're looking for. Sort of a difference between a battle axe and a scalpel, right? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. um, probably a good comparison to make. And then there's there's there is one other key differentiator that we're actually coding right now is is so when I realized that there was a healthy market for pre-made SOPs. And obviously me running an Amazon business, I, I knew how to create them or my team knew how to create them for that one niche. And then we realized, well, you know, there's probably people in all sorts of niches who would like to have SOPs, but don't have the time or maybe the inclination to create them from scratch. Maybe they would be quite happy to buy pre-made SOPs in other niches. And we are actually right now in the throes of creating a marketplace functionality within the Flowster platform so that other creative folks could come and put their SOPs up for sale for the user community. So think of it like the Amazon of SOPs. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, for anyone who's used Campaign Refinery, uh, you know, for marketing automation, we we take the same approach. So I definitely think there's a lot of value in having a library of things related to your industry or what the task you're trying to complete to at least kind of get you most of the way there, right? I mean, it's kind of like there's some people that can code from a blank screen and others that can just modify existing code, right? So it enables a lot more people to actually do the work. So that's awesome. So how long has Flowster been available um, as a subscription product outside of, you know, any product launches that you've done? So we made it available to its first paid users last October. Okay. So not terribly, not too terribly long. Um, And in that, I'm sure you're getting a lot of early feedback from your customers. And so that's kind of a, you know, a slower iterative process. And the beautiful thing about subscriptions is they do compound over time. Do you mind Mm -hmm. sharing with us what your current MRR actually is for Flowster? Yeah, we're just shy of uh, 4,000 bucks, I think. So so somewhere between 3,500 and four. Great. Yeah. So that, that puts you what mid to upper $40,000 a year right now, but obviously that will continue to grow throughout the year. Do you have any kind of early indication on what your churn is like as far as people canceling? Super low, actually. Uh, If you give me a minute, I can pull the sheet up. Sure. Yeah. I would expect it to be low on a business like yours because it's, it's a systemization thing, right? And so if someone's putting it in place, it tends to mean that they already have a, a business and a need for a systemized approach. And once it's in place, it's pretty invaluable to get rid of. <laughs> so. Yeah, our monthly churn in February was 2.1%. In January is 1.3%. In December is 1.4%. Yeah, great. Those are those are really solid numbers. And the thing that's always interesting to me about churn is that it can be deceiving. You know, the difference between 2% churn and 4% churn doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it could be devastating on uh, the total upside of your business. So mm-hmm. uh, keeping churn low is is great. Is there anything that you're doing actively to help reduce that churn outside of just the fact that it's a pretty sticky product to begin with? I would say 
No, not yet, because we're really not. Churn has been so low that of all the things that catch my attention, it hasn't been one of them. But I would say that the majority of Flowster users are people who have purchased my done-for-you, at least the paid users, the people that have purchased my done-for-you Amazon SOPs. And we have an entire community in a Facebook group devoted to supporting those folks. And so my guess is that they're getting enough support there that they keep on using the product. And and to keep using the product, you kind of have to keep being a, a user of the software because that's where all the content lives. You can't have one without the other. Sure. You know, it's interesting that you, uh, you said you aren't actively doing something to reduce churn. But to me, a community like that actually is a huge lever for reducing churn. And I realize you probably would have done it anyway, but it's something that you're actively putting effort into that, in my opinion, would greatly reduce that churn. So whether you've done it for that reason or not, I think that it has that same outcome. Yeah, it wasn't actually originally for that reason because we created the product before we created the software. We just knew that we needed a community for the people who bought that product, a product called um, Webs. Uh, so I, I guess you're right. It's um, it's kind of an accidental benefit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think people are really missing out if they don't add a community aspect to it because you can look at some products that have had runaway hits in markets that have been slow movers typically. And when you look at it, it sort of is becomes a movement because of the community. And so it can be mm-hmm. a growth tool, a churn re- reduction tool. It's a highly undervalued thing. It's, it's something that's hard necessarily to tie dollars and cents to specifically, but there's definitely tangible benefits from having it, in my opinion, regardless of what kind of product or service that you're offering. Mm-hmm. So one thing I was looking uh, through your site, and it's pretty clear that you take the freemium route as opposed to free trials. What pushed you in that direction to to do a completely freemium approach? Well, that's a bit of a long answer, and so I'll just work my way through it. So Flowster is not my only business, and on its own, it actually has no marketing whatsoever. So I have a brand called Bright Ideas where I share content about e-commerce. I interview people on my show. And I have developed an audience as a result of doing that. And that audience continues to grow. And so we, in, in, I have, and I have a weekly newsletter. And so initially we adopted the freemium model simply because I wanted a reason to mention Flowster in my newsletter each and every week. And so if we came out with one free SOP template each and every week, that would give me a reason to talk about it certain percentage of my audience would go check it out and a certain percentage of those people would be like, hey, this is cool. I want to get this thing and they'd sign up. And then because on the free account, you can get five up to five templates, you know, may in a best case scenario after five weeks and five newsletters and five free templates, suddenly now they're at the point where they're like, well, we, we love all these five and now I want number six, so I need to pay. And then as we have been thinking a lot about our marketplace effort, just having the freemium really makes that work for a whole variety of reasons. And I don't know that I necessarily want to get into all of the detail of our marketing strategy in case the competitor is listening, but the uh, the freemium model definitely has allowed us to quickly grow the number of free users. And I don't know off the top of my head what the conversion rate is from free to paid, but uh, the company considering that we do very little marketing at this point in time, grows every single month. So I know it's working. I just, I know that there's also room for improvement in in how it's working. Yeah, I think it's always kind of a difficult conversation that anyone who does, you know, a subscription, but specifically a SaaS business, 
about free versus free trials, um, tripwire front ends. There's all different ways to drive accounts. It sure sounds like on the type of business that you have and you know, limiting it to the number of SOPs, that if you can get people to see value in advance, that it would sure be a compelling tool to get them to upgrade. Um, yeah. You know, like in the case of of the contest business, for those who don't know, I you know run contest domination and we've had over 20,000 businesses use that. But we used to have a free plan and we switched to a free trial because of the nature of contests are kind of sporadic. And we found that we were probably giving away too much functionality in our free plan. Mm-hmm. And so it was really harming our conversions to paid. And not that we didn't want to give people value, but uh, we didn't want them, we didn't want to give away the whole enchilada for free, you know? So sure. that, that was a difficult thing that we had to make a decision on several years ago to pivot away from a free plan. And it also, interestingly enough, from our standpoint, changed what people were asking for. The people that were on free plans, we found were ask, actually asking for different features uh, than what people who gave us money did. And so that that also changed the course of the product development. So I don't know. In your case, it sounds like it's it's really well aligned um, and so that it works for you. It is because regardless, you know, we're we're focused on niches where it's highly unlikely that you would have less than five standard operating procedures to run your business. In most cases, you know, you're looking at having dozens in, in our Amazon business. I, I don't even know what the number is anymore, but it's somewhere like 80 or 90 different SOPs. So to attract a user to the platform and they start off with this one free SOP and they, they kind of get in the groove and they're like, wow, this is really, really cool. And they're very quickly going to see, well, I need one for this and I need one for that and I need one for this and that and that and that and that. And, and they'll, they'll blow past five in no time flat. Right. I would say that probably chances are also good that if someone only needs a, a small handful of SOPs, they probably are a higher risk of being a high churn customer anyway. Yep, absolutely. Cool. So um, just why don't you uh, walk the audience through what your price points are? And I know you said you don't know your exact conversion rate from free to paid. Uh, do you know how many total free accounts you do have though? Uh, I do. Yes. So our price points are free $15 a month or $30 a month. And at this point in time, those are the only tiers available for pricing. And I'm looking users. So as of March 11th, we had 246 paid users and 773 free users. The free users each month is increasing by an average of about 5%. So I think that's pretty fantastic to be growing at 5% per month. Now, those are the free users. Right. And our paid user growth, uh, because it's tied right now to a couple of, to a biannual product launch that I do, it comes in two clumps a year. But as we roll out our marketplace strategy, I anticipate that to smooth out substantially. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw significant paid user growth because of the behind-the-scenes strategy that's all wrapped up into having the uh, SOP marketplace. Sure. Do you offer any upsells when somebody does decide to give you money? Not currently, but I don't rule it out. Okay. And when someone checks out, I'm assuming that you have somewhere you offer an annual plan? We do, yeah. And we is that on the card page. itself, or do they pick that before actually hitting the checkout card? I'd have to go back and check. <laughs> these are kind of, yeah, these are some of the little rough details that sometimes can make a difference in conversion, and, and you never know how it's going to pan out. Yeah, so 
I'll just click buy now on the $15. So as soon as you click buy now on the $15 monthly plan, it pops up a window that says, do you want to pick monthly or do you want to pick yearly? Gotcha. I would be curious to see just from a, a guy who's interested in technology and interested in subscription businesses, if it went only to a monthly and then maybe you offered an upsell that converted it to an annual plan, if that would make any difference uh, once they already have a little bit of buy-in, you can then say, hey, because I'm assuming you give some kind of discount or months free of service. Yeah, so we do. Uh, and that's actually a kind of a good idea. I'll have to talk to my CTO to find out how much code we'd have to write to make that happen. Yeah. Anyway, just just food for thought. D- does your annual plan do very well? Do people pick annual? I mean, if, if you don't have it right in front of you, that's fine. But I, I do have it right in front of me. Um, so out of the 246 paid members, um, roughly what percentage of those are annual compared to monthly? Okay, so is that going to be easy for me? I'm looking at a spreadsheet here, and I don't know that I can quickly pull that out. Um, profit margin, annual subscribers. Nah, free paid, free annual, free... No, I cannot easily pull that particular piece of data out of the spreadsheet. Okay, that's I'm fine. That, that's just something that I was curious about, and that may impact your decision whether or not you want to even test the uh, the annual as a paid upsell. Yeah. So one thing I like to cover is, you know, you mentioned that you've done product launches. Do you know how you got your first 10 paying customers? Because anyone who starts a new business, you know, whether it's software or it's, uh, you know, it's training or it's a box service, getting those first customers is hard. It's tough, kind of no matter who you are, what industry you're in. So how did you get your first 10 customers? So actually, it wasn't our first 10. It was our first about 170 all came in a five-day period because of a product launch I did of my web's product, which is the done-for-you standard operating procedures that are used by Amazon third-party sellers. So when people buy that, it says right on the sales page, you're going to need to sign up for a Flowster account because you know this content has to live somewhere. So 170 came real quick. Okay. And so then how did you sell those 170? Like I know it was with the package, but we're using affiliates, paid traffic, Affiliate. existing lists. Affiliates. No, affiliates. And then I'm right now in the process of starting to test evergreen funnels uh, and using YouTube primarily. Well, yeah, YouTube as my traffic source, both organic and paid, which then is going to go to an auto webinar, which we'll be using Webinar Jam for. And then because I've done these webinars manually and they convert pretty well. So now I'm trying to evergreen the whole evergreen and automate it. Um, and then that would, if that works, that will allow us to scale up our spend. Cause the agency I hired, I gave them my numbers on, you know, what a customer's worth and what the conversion rates of the webinar at and so forth. And it looks like on the surface, like it should, the ROI should be pretty significant, but you know, we haven't, we're, we're literally just at the beginning of starting to set all that up. Sure. So what, what is a customer worth if you know those numbers? Well, with the app being, you know, having very low churn and only having been available to the public since, you know, last October, yeah, I don't really know what a customer is worth because nobody really ever quits. So right now they're worth 15 bucks a month. Sure. But I, but I haven't been at it long enough to say, well, on average, they stay 10 months or 12 months or whatever the number is. Totally, totally fair. So what was the price point then of that done-for-you service that was uh, large enough to attract the affiliates to drive those accounts? 2500 bucks a pop. 2500 bucks. So what I want people to kind of pull out of this, you look at some of the sort of standard Silicon Valley mindset, it's, hey, we've got this low-price product, it's our only product. 
how do we sell things? And they start looking at the math. And sometimes it gets difficult on how to do, uh, you know, customer acquisition. And so when you when you look at your strategy, you know, you, you got your first 170 or so customers because it was associated to a much higher priced item that you were probably willing to be very generous with affiliates on that mm-hmm. gave you a recurring backend. That's exactly correct. Yeah. So that's a differentiation I want people to consider that are maybe stuck sort of in the standard Silicon Valley mindset of, you know, hey, I, I make a, you know, a buck 50 a month off of my users. <laughs> How do I get 5 million users, you know? Mm-hmm. And consider ways that maybe you can use other front end products, be it a you know a higher price product like you did or tripwire products that has been successful for ClickFunnels, you know with their free plus ship book offers, those kind of things, um, as mm-hmm. ways to acquire new customers. Yeah, we're we're going at it in a very non traditional way. You know, when I look at competitors, they're doing a combination of you know content marketing and probably paid traffic directly to the platform and ours is a more indirect approach and again just out of confidentiality i don't want to really want to share my exact strategy but it's not it's not the traditional strategy and that's one of the reasons why we've consciously not also taken any investors on because both my co-founder and i have had the financial means to pay for the development of the app and each of us because we have other businesses that you know provide for our lives are content to see it grow maybe at what might be a slower rate. Although if my strategy really pays off, maybe it'll be a really fast rate without um, having to you know deal with investors breathing down our neck. Sure. I mean, beyond just the fact that then you owe somebody money, it's someone else who doesn't spend day and night thinking about your business, having words that they expect you to implement that aren't necessarily fully measured and accounting for maybe the realities or the nuance of your business. It's yep. a, a tough, tough balancing act when you do go down that route. Not saying it's the wrong one for everyone, but it's definitely a tough one. It's one that I've personally also chosen to avoid. So that being said, I want to also know, is there any campaign that you tried to do that has just absolutely not worked for you in trying to promote Flowster? Not yet, because the only thing that we've done so far is product launches and free SOPs that I've mentioned in a newsletter and, and those, the product launches, sure, there's some effort there, but we've been doing that for a while and we know it works really well. I think over the next 60 days, as I embark on what I'm going to call my my YouTube slash content partner strategy, which will mean nothing to the listeners, but it means a whole lot to me, that is going to either work blazingly well like i think it's going to or you know it could completely crash and burn and not work at all and you'd have to interview me again in you know 90 or 120 days to know well we might have to do that then (laughs) (laughs) sure great so is there anything else that um you'd like to share about your business that has been a struggle that has been a success i know that you haven't you know gone guns blazing quite yet but uh, I think that there's actually more to be gleaned from failure than success in a lot of cases. So anything that you want to share with us at this point that sticks out to you during your process of building Floster? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is um, because I'm involved in more than one business, and they're all kind of related to each other. So it's not like I have like a, three unrelated businesses. I think that would be virtually impossible to do. But mine all sort of piggyback on each other's successes. But just managing the overwhelm of the fact that I need to put mindshare in three different places, and and they do help each other, 
but that has always been a challenge for me. Like here's a perfect example. So, so I have my Amazon business, which is run by my wife and a team. And that business is the proof that our SOPs work. So we must have the Amazon business and it must be successful so that I can sell SOPs. And when, and, and the SOPs are under my bright ideas brand and Flowster up to this point has been solely dependent for its growth on the sale of those SOPs, which is indirectly dependent upon the success of my Amazon business. So you can see that everything sort of sits on this one foundation and, and dividing my time and energy and mind into those three places is, is a little bit tricky at times. And that's part of the reason why we're coming up with this strategy of uh, what I call my content partner strategy, which has something to do with the Flowster marketplace. So that Flowster should and could become a growing concern independent of whatever my Amazon business or my Bright Ideas brand were to do or to not do. And making that transition is... It was daunting up until actually yesterday. I was whiteboarding and I had this idea and it was just going to, it was a game changer for me because it was going to save me probably 10 hours a week, which, you know, we only have 40. So 10 is a huge chunk or 40. I only work 40. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I guess so, yeah. That, that actually begs the question, do you, you know, and I guess I know the answer now. Do you subscribe to the Gary Vaynerchuk work yourself until you're dead or no. do you subscribe to balance? No, I think people like Gary are an idiot. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to hug all your money when you're old? That's are you fair. Cuddle it and go on vacation <laughs> with all your money. I mean, just go watch the movie Bucket List and and figure it out. You can. There's only so much money I need. I I don't care to be a billionaire. I don't need a billion dollars to be happy. But what I need is people that love me and relationships that are meaningful to me, and enough money so that I can you know build up enough assets that when I'm old and that we're old, you know we're not we're not in dire straits and I don't need to actively work to earn my income anymore. And so that I can have any toys and adventures that I want to have along the way. That's it for me. I don't need more than that. Yeah. Beyond a certain point, you know, more money, more problems kind of thing, right? As Bill Gates always mm-hmm. says, there's a, there's a famous little chain of restaurants around here called Dick's Burgers. And uh, Bill Gates said, you know, at a certain point, Dick's Burgers just don't cost anymore. <laughs> like they, they don't increase in price relative to your income. So after a certain amount of income, it just there's there's not a lot to be gained beyond a certain point. Of course, yeah. there's a lot to be gained in the early stages of that process, but beyond a certain point, it's certainly diminishing returns. I'm glad that you it mentioned is. overwhelm with running three different correlated and connected businesses, but still three different businesses. One thing I want to touch on is mental health, in my view, is a huge component of being successful. And I also think that it's a a huge hurdle for a lot of entrepreneurs, um, be it stress, anxiety, depression sometimes. You know, someone who personally suffers from generalized anxiety and, and even occasionally has panic attacks when it's bad, it's something that I have to be cognizant of and do things to improve my well-being and unplug and de-stress. So it, are any of those things that you've suffered from in the past? And if if you have, or even if you haven't, what things do you do to try to elevate your mood and and work on your mental health in correlation with your business. Yeah, and and that is probably the most important question of the entire interview. And there are some things that I actively do. So, one I meditate every day for 10 to 15 minutes in the morning. I work out and exercise regularly and I have balance. So that's part of it. But, you know, you still show up at the office every day and you're still looking at 
all these things that are on your to-do list. And, and that's where that state of overwhelm comes from. And so what I've done a variety of things to try and battle that awful feeling. One of the things was taking my calendar and dividing it up and blocking it off. Like Mondays is content creation day for the Bright Ideas brand. And then Tuesdays is is for the Flowster business. And then Wednesdays is, you know, or, or a portion of Wednesdays to oversee and answer questions from the team that runs my Amazon business. And as if that wasn't enough, I've started another company to buy more e-commerce companies. So on on day four of the week, I devote time to looking at deals. But even that, and and I had Trello separate Trello board for each one of those businesses. But even that didn't fully <laughs> relieve me of the state of overwhelm. So then there's two other things which you absolutely must do, or maybe three. One, you need to have systems, and two, you need to hire people. If you're trying to do everything yourself, you're just never going to dig yourself out of that hole of overwhelm. And so I see my role as as you know chief engineer in that I like to work on the business, not in it. And that's why having a people, having people and having systems are absolutely crucial because without those two, it makes delegation much, much more difficult. But the thing that I did yesterday, which I haven't felt this light in a while, is I took one of my big whiteboards that's in my office and I made uh, six columns, March, April, May, June, July, and August. I figured that was far enough. And then in each one of those columns, I just I just made a list of like, what are the most important things that I have to get done in each one of these businesses. And so, for example, in the remainder of March, the only thing that I really, really need to get done is my evergreen funnel experiment because there's a significant ROI if I can get that to work. So that's important. I got to produce four podcast episodes because that's what keeps me connected to my audience. Plus, it actually fits into my Flowster marketing strategy. And then for this fourth company where we're looking at buying e-commerce brands, I needed to get a couple of SOPs developed so that we could have VAs do all the legwork to find us the deals. And then I need to plan and shoot 12 videos for my YouTube channel. And I know that sounds like a lot, but I blocked out an entire, like next week is just video week. That's all I'm doing all week. And that's all at the highest level. If I didn't get anything else done on all my to-do lists, those are the big rocks that moves it forward. And then next month, I know what it is. And in May, I know what it is. And in June, I know what it is. And in July, I know what it is. So by looking at that board, it helps because I'm always in a hurry to a certain degree, not to the point where I don't work 80 hours a week, but I'm always in a hurry. And so when I look at the board and I, I'm reminded that, oh yeah, you know what? I don't have to panic on this thing because I've scheduled it. I know it's going to be one of my big rocks in May and May's soon enough. And, you know, when I'm looking back five years from now, whether it happened in April or May, ain't going to make really a huge difference. You may not even remember if it happened in April or May. <laughs> you years. most likely won't. Yeah. No, that that's great. Um, yeah, I just, I think that this is something that the community, you know, myself included, um, we just, we don't talk about it enough about the ways to kind of structure and, and cut out the things that don't matter and try to carve out time specific to our health and our own kind of mental well-being. You mentioned that you work out regularly. Do you, what's your kind of weapon of choice? For some people, it's weightlifting. Some people, it's running. Some people, it's biking. Do you have one of, of kind of preference that you tend to go back to more often? Yeah, when the weather's suitable to be outdoors, I like to spend a lot of time riding my dirt bike and my mountain bike. And then I also lift weights. And then when, when the weather's not so good for being outdoors, I still lift weights, but I spend time on my Peloton bike. 
I have one of those as well. It's one of the best investments I've ever made as a business owner. I was on Um, it this morning doing a 30-minute HIIT workout, and man, I'm like just drenched in sweat and huffing and puffing when I get off that thing. Perfect. Well, uh, Trent, thank you so much for being on today. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for sharing the ins and outs of your business. Uh, I wish you the best of luck on Flowster. If the audience wants to get in touch with you or check out your tool, where should they go? So the easiest way to get in touch with me personally, I mean, you can just come to the Bright Ideas site and go to the contact page. Those emails all go to my inbox. And uh, to learn more about Flowster, obviously just go to Flowster, which is F-L-O-W-S-T-E-R dot app. And you can sign yourself up for a free trial. And in the invite sequence, you're going to get an invitation to the Flowster Facebook group. And I moderate that group as well. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on. Uh, the insights were really helpful, I think. And we'll have to loop back with you in the future and see if your your big idea panned out. All right. Sounds good. Thanks very much for having me on, Travis. Yep. Thanks, Trent.